Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Wait a second. Children of all ages? Isn't this show rated explicit? If that doesn't sound right, we're going to be using a lot of adult no-no words. Ladies and gents, we're proud to present to you the Spinning Our Gears podcast. As a reminder, the issues, views, and opinions discussed in this podcast are those of the co-hosts and their guests and do not reflect those of any department, agency, city, municipality, state, or country. All stories, characters, and individuals discussed on the podcast should be considered fictional for entertainment value, especially if there's any Blue Falcons listening in. Listener discretion is advised. If you don't like it, hit the big X and find something else. Otherwise, without further ado, here are your hosts, Turk and Swagger. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Spinning Our Gears. I'm Turk. He's Corporal Chaos, and together we're just a couple of guys spinning our gears. Swagger, what's you up to, man? Not much. What are you up to? Just enjoying the day. It was a yeah. beautiful day outside. We got a lot of yard work done and some grilling, and just a good day to be off. I, I'll tell you right now, I'm still amazed by all these creative names you have for me. They just you pull those out of thin air. Or are you prepping for these? Oh, uh, there might be a little prep going on. Okay. All right. I'll like, man, where'd you come up with that one? Like, That's good. Just 30 minutes in advance prep. I, this is actually like one of my favorite parts of the show because I have to just wait to hear and it's right <laughs> off the bat. Wait to hear what you're going to call me this week. All downhill from there. Well, I'm still waiting for <laughs> something to uh, one of these times you call me like a bad name or something. Or just call you your real name. Yeah, or do that. Yeah, that could be good. <laughs> Which I mean, like in all reality, pretty much everybody knows who we are by this point anyway. So it's like whatever. But <laughs> so. but we are starting to branch out. I'm getting messages more and more from deeper in our old county and out of the county and yeah, taking over the state, brother. I I know you've been sending those to me, and I'm like, I don't know who this person is, uh, but what they're saying, and I'm like, wow, you know, it's more of a. <laughs> more more of a shock than anything that uh the things that they're coming forward and saying to us about uh other agencies or maybe previous agencies that we were yeah. part of. <laughs> so well, I'll be I'll be completely honest the last person that messaged me on Twitter now that we're up to 11 followers by the way. Dude, we are booming. Uh, <laughs> uh his his name was an abbreviation of his real name and so I had no idea who it was. And he just started rolling like like we knew each other and I had to do some digging. I was like, "Oh, that's who that guy is." <laughs> you had to do a little investigative work. Little, a little investigative work. You were working on your off time. Oh man, yeah. Or, so, or were you working on your off time? Well, it might have been working on my work time. Oh, well, it happens. <laughs> nope, the fans are growing and they're reaching out to us, which is awesome. And I think we're getting more and more opportunities for guests to come on the show, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I'm waiting for it to uh, to circle back to the new agency. I feel like it's getting kind of close. <laughs> oh, I've done I've done everything I could to keep that from happening. I know, I know, and that's the only reason I say just keep the names. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even brought up the the podcast yet. Yeah, not that I think anybody down there would care, especially you know like where, where I'm at in the county I'm in. But right, man, it's just it's pretty funny. I don't think so at my place either, but. I'm just not taking the chance. Yeah. Still a probationary officer. I see. You gotta, you gotta be careful. You gotta be careful. You just never know nowadays. You know, the first amendments, you know, people don't like that thing. They don't. It's, it's a little even, bit ridiculous. Even though it's protected. Yeah. Right. But I can't say whatever I want to say. What are you talking about? It's right. It's there. weird. It it's, it's weird. I don't yeah. get it. I don't know. Fucking I don't like no. to have my, I don't like to have my rights infringed upon. Okay. I don't either. But don't you know, there's a sovereign citizen or anything, but I just don't <laughs> like to have my rights infringed upon. Little uh, playback to one of our previous episodes. Yep. <laughs> there's gnomes in the grass everywhere, though. Yep. There, and there may be a little bit of a uh, reason why I said that here later on. We're going to get into a, another, you know, infringing of rights possibility. So, yep. Yep. I think this is going to be uh, another heavy episode, I guess we could yeah. say. It's going to be a little touchy. I, uh, yeah try to keep the politics out of it and because everything's fucking political right now so yeah yep and the thing is it's, it's a pretty serious topic so we're not going to go into any of the comedy or the sports that we normally do we kind of want to give this episode its due we'll get into that in a second i think the first thing that you and i talked about kind of want to throw a shout out to our boy big cat 
from the old agency. Big Cat, ironically, is a canine handler, and he's a fan of the show. His partner got an injury, kind of a freak injury during training, and it was pretty touch and go there for a little bit. Actually had a car on top of the dog at one point and had to have some emergency surgery. For a little bit, they were concerned he was going to lose his leg. But thankfully, it looks like now he's going to have a full recovery and be back in like eight to 10 weeks. So that's awesome. That's awesome. That's, yeah. When I first heard that, it was like, you know, between that and telling the wife, I mean, I swear she was about ready to cry. Yeah. You know, it's just so sad. You know, and that's the thing too with animals. Like, you know, shit that any you know, a human being can be run over by a car and nobody would care. Right. And the second, you know, an animal or especially a canine gets hit by a car and, and, and it's, it's like the end of the world, you know, and it, it's sad. It really is. Well, and having that background, I can tell you like every day, it's just like having your kid with you where you're afraid, like what danger are they getting into now? Like what, what trouble are they getting into now? And so having that play out in front of you, I can't imagine what he went through. Uh, just big cat. Know that we're thinking about you. You and I'll say your dog's name. Cause there's a million of them out there across the U S we're thinking of you and Kane and hopefully he gets back quicker sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you want to cover real quick or do you want to dive into it? No, I, I think, you know, just like you said, I think keeping it to a, to a real, uh, I don't even know what the word is I'm looking for. It's, it's, it's going to be kind of controversial in my opinion, but, but at the same time, it's something that's going to be touchy and, and heartfelt. Mm-hmm. Um, I think heartfelt was the word I was looking for. So I think keeping it to that point is, is uh, something we probably should do. So mm-hmm. probably won't be as many jokes today, unfortunately. And I hope that it doesn't steer away any of our listeners, but uh, I hope it attracts some people that are in law enforcement, even outside law enforcement, what we're talking about and why we're saying what we're saying. Yeah. So, well, and I, if you haven't picked up on it yet, we're talking about the the school shooting that took place in Texas. And I think it, it, not so much that we wanted to get our two cents in on it. I think we wanted to show our respect to it, but then also there's already so many, articles out there and so much i don't want to call it inf- misinformation but assumptions piling up without any facts behind it we have done a little bit of research and we want to put out there what we know about it and then kind of try to fill in some of the gaps right yeah i i and turk and i were talking before the show you know he's got a bunch of stuff written down he did a lot of research on it i'm going to try to wing this thing and the reason i'm doing that is it's more heartfelt and so if i get off on a tangent turk's, turk's jobs to reel me back in so he knows that already. We've already, we've already just, covered that, but we'll just hit the mute button. <laughs> yeah. We'll hit the mute button, build it back in. We'll have to cut it, edit it. Yeah. All that fun stuff. But if it sounds like a flashbang going off, that's me popping smoke. That's all right. Yeah. So gotta go. So, well, so let's, let's kick this off. Uh, the shooting took place. I believe it's pronounced Uvalde, Texas. Yep. Uh, Rob elementary school. Unfortunately, there were, there were 19 students and two teachers that perished. And then, 17 additional students that were injured i I guess i don't want to say this guy's name too many times i don't want to give him the credit we're going to say it one time and just refer to him as shooter after that but the uh the shooter's name was salvador ramos he was 18 years old turned 18 earlier this month the way things kind of broke down was he got into an argument with his grandmother at her house is where he lived uh she was shot in the face uh survived the shooting but that occurred at about 11 30 in the morning he then hopped into her truck. Uh, neighbors said that it appeared maybe he didn't know how to drive, that he was kind of mashing the gas and trying to find the gear, and then finally peeled out uh, in her truck, where he then drove pretty much directly to Rob Elementary School and wrecked the truck. Uh, photos that I've seen so far is he totaled the truck in a, a water like embankment or culvert or something like that. Mm-hmm. He exited out the passenger side of the truck with his, one of his two rifles as well as a bag of ammunition uh, where he encountered two, I guess I'd call them citizens or passerbys. He fired shots off and they took off. I think this is where the first misconception came up. Uh, early reports were that he was encountered by two officers right away and he was not. I think it was the two citizens that people were picking up on. Uh, so there was no interaction with law enforcement at the beginning. But I think it was the citizens that called it in. Sure. Yeah, that's the <clears throat> that's what I've heard. I as well. I just from watching the news recently that that's what happened, and and not the the opposite of that. People were calling in saying that there there was you know a cop there that didn't do anything. Right. And uh, you know that's a real knee jerk reaction to jump to a conclusion, and that's the unfortunate misinformation world we're living in that everybody wants to get the story out first, and it leads to 
to missteps along the way. So. Uh, and I don't want to call it clickbait, but that's kind of what it is. They want to like said, they want to get that info out, so you're clicking on the article and they're getting money from their sponsors. Yep. So that was the first bit of I guess incorrect information that was put out there, and I might bounce back and forth a little bit here. Later articles that I picked up on showed that this this suspect had put out several posts on social media that day. Then, like an hour before the shooting actually took place, he put on social media. I guess messaging like random in quotes friends that he made over the past year or so saying he was going to shoot his grandmother, then saying that he did shoot her and then said that he was going to go to a elementary school and shoot up the school. Uh, none of that was reported until I want to say days afterwards. Actually, I think, I think it was actually the day after um, that one of them came forward. Right. And, uh, and, and did report that that, was kind of out of the ordinary or weird because I think it was a female and she didn't know what he was in, like, what he was referencing because right. she had never talked to him before or something along those lines. Well, because she was, she was actually overseas. Like she was from like London, yeah. I think it was something like that. Yep. So it was, it was totally random people that he was messaging. But anyway, uh, 1130 is when he shot his grandmother. He was at the school somewhere between 1130 and 1135 because at 1135, uh, the first three officers were on scene entered into the school and they were shot through the closed doors of a classroom where he had gone into take a step back. Apparently there had been a graduation for the fifth graders in the auditorium. And one of the doors had been propped open to allow air through because it was getting hot. That was the door that he entered through was this open propped open door proceeded straight to the the classrooms that he went to. I think they were adjoining classrooms and that's where a majority of this took place. So like I said, the first three officers were on scene within five minutes and they tried to make entry through the two doors. They were shot. They were non-life-threatening injuries. But because they were not able to get into the classrooms, they fell back into the hallway and started uh, started giving out information to the people that were responding as well. Yep. So once they were there, uh, command staff started to put together an incident command scene. And this is where stuff really kind of started breaking down. It's unknown at this point how many people had been injured or killed. But it was reported, and they have specific times, that at 11.37, 11.38, 11.40, and 11.44, there were 16 round bursts from his rifle that could be heard. At this point, it is an active shooter. Absolutely. We know that. Yep. yep. The Some of the reports that I was seeing were that there was concern. They thought he was trying to lure them in. And that might have been the case, but in this situation... You don't have a choice. It's an active shooter. It uh, by, sorry, like I said, we're going to be going back and forth here a little bit just because the information's all over the place. It sounds like sometime after this last set of of rounds that were being fired, nineteen officers were on scene, and they were on scene by twelve twenty one. So roughly forty minutes after this incident, I'm sorry, roughly fifty minutes after this incident took place there were at least 19 officers on scene and they, there were continued shots coming from inside the classroom. Some of them were going to the door where the first three officers had arrived at. So they fell further back trying to just, I guess, create distance at that point. Yeah. I think you know, certain situations you tactically speaking, what you're kind of trained to do at some points, not necessarily in this situation, but is if you're taking shots, you're, you're kind of, you know, maybe trained at some, you know, in certain situations to fall back, you know, and set up a perimeter and, you know, contain the issue. Well, you know, in this situation where it's an active ordeal and you can hear guns, you know, I think everybody's concern was, is that nobody continued to try to push through that, you know, or, right. or the gear that is afforded to police officers wasn't being used. And like I, you know, Turk and I talked about, we're not here to arm armchair quarterback this at, um, because we weren't there. And, and, you know, it's very hard to try to to try to say, you know, hey, they should have done this. They should have done that. And that's that's the issue that I have with a lot of this is, is that the media is trying to dictate how they do their job and what they were doing. But you still, as a police officer, have a response. There's shots being fired. Right. Right. Uh, I think everybody's trained that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I heard you, know, you have a lot more research on this, but I heard that they had just had like an active shooter training like maybe within the past couple weeks prior to the incident. 
Yeah, we're going <laughs> to – so like like you said, we're not going to armchair quarterback, but there is going to be some criticism, and we're going to go into that here in a second once I kind of conclude the the sequence of events here. But, yeah, you're right. There were there was training within the previous two months. So, But to continue on, at 12.15, so a little bit before we had the account of at least 19 officers on scene, a TAC team arrives, and it was a Border Patrol TAC team. They get on scene – and then an additional 35 minutes goes by before anyone enters the school. The report is that during this wait time, officers from the Uvalde School District Police Department, as well as the Uvalde Police Department, started breaking windows and trying to evacuate students out of other classrooms where they knew the suspect was not at. So, again, this is an active shooter, but they're kind of they're handling it not kind of they're handling it as a barricaded subject which i think is where things went wrong uh so tac team arrives at 12 15 what was reported is that part of the reason they were waiting was that the chief of police for the uvalde school district police department he he was saying that he was wanting more officers on scene and better equipment on scene and then also he was they were waiting for a key holder to get on scene so a janitor with keys to the room Mm -hmm. um and So they they make that wait for, like I said, 30 to 35 minutes. Then they make their approach. Uh, They use the keys to enter into the classroom. The suspect was killed. An additional officer was shot, but it was another non-life-threatening injury. Uh, I think the pictures that I've seen going around, I think that was the officer that actually had the the bullet wound graze his head. You actually saw it go, go through his hat. Yep. So that's the breakdown of what occurred. A little history for the suspect it sounds like back in September of last year, he asked his sister to buy him a gun and she flat out refused. Later that month, he moved out of his mother's house due to an argument over Wi-Fi. Kind of tells you what type of a mental place this guy is at. Uh, February 28th, there's record of him online discussing school shootings with others. March 1st, he discusses buying guns with others. March 3rd, there's a possibility that he bought a gun he just posted something about very vague about just bought something and when asked about it he wouldn't go into detail march 14th he posted 10 more days the people online asked him if he was going to go shoot up a school and he responded stop making comments like that Uh, may 17th and 20th we have record of him buying two rifles and ammunition this was just after his birthday um it's also reported that he was wearing body armor during the incident. It's unclear when or how he got a hold of that body armor. Acquaintances and family said that he was a loner. He was quiet, often bullied, had few friends, and often sought out to um, have physical fights with people. Uh, again, we talked about the social media messages that he put out there. He also put out that he wanted to join the military so that he could kill people. And would often was often known to drive around at night with a pellet gun, uh, causing damage to people and property. Couldn't really find a lot about his mental health status. One person reported that he had no known mental health issues, but just kind of some of the the things being listed. I think there, I think pretty clearly there was an issue going on there that just maybe didn't get picked up. Yeah, which is <clears throat> kind of surprising because, like, from that just from doing a little bit of research on like social media platforms and stuff like that, that they have a system in place where there are like investigators for threat assessment type shit for people that say stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they pass it on the proper authorities, whether that mean is means, you know, somebody's making comments that they're going to kill themselves, harm themselves, or they're making really sadistic like comments, you know, that, that they're going to do something, shoot up a school or, or a mass shooting event or bombs or whatever, all that shit gets flagged when you post it from my understanding. Right. And and unfortunately you would think that that shit would have got picked up on to the point where a social media platform, I'm not going to name them, but you know, which ones are out there. didn't Mm -hmm. flag that to law enforcement, the proper authorities. So, cause it sounds like that, that actually did not happen. Well, and then on top of that, just the people that, he was associating with online didn't say anything. The reports that I saw were that several people, he like he was bullied and called a school shooter before this ever happened. Right. Kind of that see something, say something never took place. That's exactly what I was just going to say. I think, you know, I think we have dealt with it in our, in our agencies 
you know, we, I get frustrated sometimes with people who call in that their neighbor cut their grass clippings on their, on their grass and and they're upset about that. Like that's not a police issue. No. Um, Solve that yourself, but you won't call in when somebody's making stupid comments, like call us then that's a legit, that's a legit problem. We need to address that, but you're, you're willing to call in for something dumb, but you won't call in for something that would be, or potentially serious. So if you, you know, if you see something, hear something, say something, you know, and if there's law enforcement officers out there that are, are not taking this shit seriously, you, you're probably in the wrong profession. You probably need to find a different job right? because it is a very serious matter, especially if you have kids, you need to make a concerted effort that, Hey, you know, that could be my kid at that school. And in this instant, there was, there was mm-hmm. law enforcement officers that had their kids at that school. You know, you, it's, it's a, it's a very touchy subject, but you, if as a citizen or as, you know, anybody, a witness to anything, if you hear or see something, you need to say something to law enforcement. Yep. Well, and so let's, let's go into the law enforcement side of things a little bit here. Uh, like I said, the, the, there was, there was basically two police departments on scene from what, from my understanding, the Uvalde police department, the only thing that I could find was that they've employed over 40 officers in the past five years. Boy, does that sound familiar to you? Yep. Yeah. The Uvalde school district police department was pretty young. It had had been created about four years ago, specifically for the safety of the schools. There was six officers total to include chief Pedro. uh, I'm going to butcher this name. Arredondo. Does that sound right? I don't know, man. I, okay. should, I had no clue what his first name was. Anyway, uh, the, this department was created about four years ago, like I said, to, to for basically the safety of the schools. But the sounds of it was that it was directly under the Uvalde Police Department. So it was really more or less just six school resource officers right. with a chief over, you know, watching over them. They, like you said, they had active shooter training. It was actually two months prior and I know that I did read something else about a few days or a few weeks prior, they were doing some other training related to that as well. But in the four years that they've been a department, they've had two or three active school shooter trainings. So in theory, they should have known what they were doing at that point. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that the size of the department didn't help. And the retention issue, the turnover rate. Yeah. The retention issue, I think also it will dive into it a little more. I was going to talk about how, you know, you and I have been to active shooter trainings and you know how those go yep. with some of the old heads who were in charge, who should be paying attention or who should know what they're doing, right. not necessarily taking it as, as seriously as they should. Yep. Another thing that I saw in my research that I think maybe had a part to play with it was that this chief Arredondo had won a city council position two weeks prior. So not necessarily, and I, that's an assumption that I'm making, but I, I kind of wonder how much that had to play into either what kind of a leader he was or what kind of decisions he was making. Sure. Yeah. Well, did you watch the, did you watch the, there, there was a, I was watching Fox news. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> but there was a, they had a council member on, uh, they were interviewing him. It was bright and early in the morning. I think it was a couple of days ago. Yeah. And you could, you could tell, in his interview, the pain and suffering he was experiencing, I, I felt so bad for him because he's, he's, he even said, he said, I'm friends with these police. There was these reports that were coming out bashing what their response was, was eating this guy alive. And mm-hmm. he's not even a cop. Right. And just eating him alive because he knows these guys to be good individuals. They're, you know, they're not bad people. They, they just didn't do essentially what probably they should have done. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't want an arm, armchair quarterback this thing, but you could tell the the amount of hurt that he was feeling during his interview. And to the point where he literally, and he is 100% accurate. The, from my opinion, and this, I, I work in an agency now that is predominantly, the city is predominantly Hispanic. They're very pro law enforcement, but they are also not the type of people who want a lot of cameras around, right? They, they don't, they don't want to be having that, you know, and there's reasons why I'm not going to get into those, but, um, you know, everybody's going to jump to conclusions. The thing with it is, is that he literally was like yelling at the news crews to leave. 
Like yeah. there's just too many of them. Yeah. They're harassing the families. Like there's people down there that are struggling. And the, and my, my issue with these, the news agencies is, is that all this misinformation, you're just throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. And then you're harassing these families that are going through turmoil. Like they're mm-hmm. like literally their life's just been ripped to shreds. And you could tell that this guy was, had the balls to stand up in front of the national news and say, you know, get the F out of here. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want you here. He literally said that. And I couldn't, I couldn't have applauded him anymore. I'm like, that's a leader. Well, and then the, the issue is that they're not going to listen to that. They're no. going to stick around. Yeah. And, and this is going to get right a little, to do that. well, yeah, they do have, they have the right yeah. to be there, but you would assume that basic common sense would take over at that point. Right. You know, put yourself in their shoes. Um, this is going to kind of go slightly off topic, but uh, my wife and I actually had the conversation and I was thinking the same thing, just the politicians that are already jumping into this, whether they're pro gun or anti gun, Mm -hmm. they're not, I think that so many of them don't care about the families. All they care about is their political platform and using this tragedy as an event to start pushing for their next reelection. And that is, we've talked about this on the podcast. I've talked about it with a lot of people. That's the issue with this country is, is one's going to go one way. The other's going to go the other way. And we're not Mm -hmm. even going to care about the families. I I mean, legitimately speaking, you're going to try to fight this battle politically. And you have these people who are legitimately hurt. Mm -hmm. Like there, you know, there's people who are dead. There's people that are just, you know, they're, they're, they're lost and they're at a loss. They're in shock. They're grieving. You know, all these things are going on, but you know, they're not doing anything to help them. Right. You know, they want to argue this, that, oh, yeah, no gun right. You know, everybody, nobody should have guns. And it's like, I mean, that's irrelevant at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, you have all these people down here that are literally hurt and you're not helping them at all. Right. And that it goes back to, like you said, we talked about the 10 percent on one side yelling, 10 percent on the other side yelling. Well, before we were talking about 80 percent that were just wanting to do their jobs. In this case, it's 80 percent of people that are just hurting. Yeah, and they don't they don't want to hear any of it, but they have to go. You know, th- these politicians won't shut up. It's basically between between the politicians and the news media, just constantly airing this. Mm-hmm. Like given, and that's the other thing, you keep giving him all these all this limelight. That's why we're not you know gonna say his name anymore because fuck right. that kid, right? You know, in my opinion, and <clears throat> that's your own fault. Like you're just whatever, but you have the, the, the media just continuously drawing this divide and, you know, it makes, you know, us on the outside, cause we don't live down there, but yet we're in law enforcement. So it's a brotherhood sisterhood type thing. You, we, we know how, what they're, you know, to an extent, we know kind of what they're feeling or what I would be feeling if I was in that situation is what I'm doing. I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have to just, you know, for the past, what, four years, three, four years now, we've just been getting kicked in law enforcement just constantly and then you got that retention rate down there and the turnover rate down there. And then this happens. And, you know, how do they feel now that they're you know all over the news being, you know, badgered that they, that their response time was off or whatever. Cause I mean, honestly, they could have done things better. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say that they couldn't have, but we weren't there either. So I don't really know, but hindsight's 2020 and you maybe possibly probably should have done certain things a little differently. And it could have probably, maybe, possibly saved some lives. I, you know, you don't really know those things though, right? Because you weren't, you weren't in there. So, but for the for the media to come out and say that, you know, oh, well, to I guess just to piggyback off that, for the past four years, like you said, we've been getting kicked in the groin. What the two professions that we had that still had our back, military and teachers, and already I've seen such a divide right now because of this issue and because of the way the media is reporting it, I've seen so many veterans and military people stand up and go, well, the, the, the police handle this terribly. And they're basically against us almost at this point, like, and how this was handled and, and the way the reports are being filed. And I think a lot of teachers are upset because I mean, this is their profession and they want to feel safe. They want to feel that we're going to be there to protect them. It's just not going in a good direction. No, kind of like what you have laid out on your end as far as what more talking points we're going to go into. But I think that, you know, at some point in this episode, I don't know if you want to do it now or not, but we need to talk about like possible outcomes or ways that we can correct this across the country because there is a way to fix this issue. 
And I have ideas. I'm sure you have ideas. I know that I've heard some really great ideas taking away people's Second Amendment rights. I mean, right. I don't want to go down that road. Like, do I think that there needs to be better background checks? Sure. I don't think there's an issue with that. Like, I don't think people who have mental health illness should have a gun. Like, there's there's issues involved in that. There's, And I think that's a reasonable thing. But at the same time, like, you know, this this whole gun grab thing is not going to help this country out at all. Right, right. Because the bad people are still going to have guns. Yep. And that goes into, hey, meth is illegal. It's right. still happening. Murder yeah. is illegal. It's still happening. Right. Take, taking or making guns illegal is not going to keep the criminals from having guns. It's not going to keep people like this person from getting guns. Right. So, no, yeah, I, I, I guess I've got I wanted to kind of critique uh, how this was handled first and then go into the solutions. If that's OK that's, with yeah, you. Do that first. Absolutely. B- basically, the breakdown of this was. And I don't know if you, did you see the uh, the interview with the Texas State DPS captain? Yes. Yep, I did. So I, I don't know what his affiliation with this is besides the investigation, but it was pretty clear he was kind of making Chief Arredondo the scapegoat right off the bat. And and maybe that's correct. Uh, certainly the way that it's being portrayed right now, the decisions he made were not correct, but it felt very much like this captain was – Hey, get off my back and focus on him. Yeah, I agree um, with that. Yeah. So, Chief Arredondo took over incident command, and basically, what that is for non-law enforcement out there, that is a person who is not making entry into the the hot zone or the shooting zone. It's someone staying outside and dictating where resources are going to go. Don't really have a problem with the chief doing that. He's the leader of the police, this police department, he's going to be in close connection with the Uvalde police department. I I don't have a problem there with him taking over incident command. The issue that we get into is that it sounds like multiple officers were requesting permission to go in and he was denying that his, his uh, reasoning for that again was saying that he believed the shooter was trying to entice officers into the school to create more victims on one hand, I understand what he's saying. I think I think what he tried to do, though, was I think he was trying to outweigh how many potential victims were inside compared to how many were outside, and you can't do that in an active shooter situation. No. I think my issue with that is that they're kids, you know? Yes, like, right. Like, you're going to run into that issue like Bezlon. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's, everybody's heard about Bezlon, and don't if you don't go do that your your body count inside is going to keep going up until mm-hmm. you get somebody in there and engage this guy regardless of what the hell's going on outside at least the people outside have guns you yeah. know so well, and and so this is me assuming things this is not a fact do not take it as fact i what i believe is that the sporadic gunfire that he was hearing I think he must have interpreted that as the enticing. I really hope this wasn't his mindset, but I think at one point he was probably wondering if there was anyone left inside to help. And unfortunately, what we learned is that there was. There were people making 911 calls mm-hmm. and saying, you know, we're in here, we need help, he's still alive. I don't know if that was not reported to him from dispatch. I would have to assume that it was reported to somebody. You would hope. But basically what he, what he broke it down into was a barricaded uh, a barricaded subject or a hostage taker. And not to go into tactics too much, but basically for law enforcement, when it breaks down into that, if it is a barricaded subject or someone with a hostage, we don't go in. We surround and try to call out unless we have to go in. Well, this is a situation where we had to go in, right? because the two key things there are either the person's by themselves or they are not an immediate threat to the people inside. Well, they're, they're not a perceived immediate threat. Basically thinking if it's a hostage situation and we make entry, it could put those hostages in greater danger. At this point, they're already at that greatest level of danger and entry should have been made. Yeah. They're they're in the, they're in the, the the definitive harm's way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking, trying to like, when we're saying this, what that chief was, what's going on, I'm trying to put myself in that situation mm-hmm. and what he's thinking. And I'm going, the only thing he could have, that, that all the, all the victims were, were dead, unfortunately. And he was just going to set up a perimeter and, and, and wait and wait it out. And 
wait till the guy runs out of ammo, wait till he, you know, something, you know, runs out of food, water, you know, right. all that stuff, or he, or he eats his own round, you know, I mean, but at, you know, damn situation with the 911 calls that like you said that were being called in from inside wasn't getting relayed to him or related to somebody you know that's another issue that that needs to be addressed mm-hmm. because then then a dispatcher didn't do their job right so well and then especially on top of that well we know that there's i mean exact round counts this person had purchased over 1650 rounds that he had with him in uh i didn't write it down but i want to say it was like close to 30 30 round maybe maybe it was 60 30 round mags and he had some in the truck he had some outside the school he had some in the school with him that he was he was dispersing amongst the two classrooms basically setting up uh, stations for himself basically to access so uh going further into it though i guess what i want to say is i really hope that him being a new council member didn't have anything to do with this. I really hope that his decision-making had nothing to do with that and, right. and having to answer questions later. But the key thing was that he was waiting for these keys to get on scene before he allowed the tag team to go in. And like I said, there were apparently several officers basically begging to go in and he just kept denying him that permission. Why they didn't take it upon themselves. I don't know, but they, they keep going back to these keys And the only thing that I can figure is that the first three officers in who took shots through the door must have reported that these, these doors were heavy duty doors and they were, they must've been afraid that using a Ram wasn't going to get them in. That's, that's all I can put together. I don't see any other reason why you would want to wait for keys to get on scene. Right. Unless there was some sort of a tactical advantage he thought they might have there. It just, it didn't make sense though. Well, it was oh go ahead the the, the doors are all likely to probably pull out true so i don't know how what 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 i don't know how what's how solidified the doors are right but yeah you're thinking uh, typically in a school so you know i not saying that you couldn't get through with a ram right mm-hmm. i mean if you hit the fucking thing hard enough you you're going to get in regardless but if that if that's their concern i can see that issue you know, and I don't know what they're going to try to do to get in there other than walk the keys, you know, get shot through the fatal funnel because you're going well, to, somebody's going to have to reach over there and unlock the damn door. And that's the other thing that, you know, you and I have, have served warrants before where for some reason getting keys as opposed to ramming the door was such a, a critical thing to command staff, right? right. They didn't, the, the damage to their door, to the door was the last thing they wanted. I don't think that was the situation here. The door had already been shot up. I think it, I don't know. I think they, they already reported that they were breaking and raking windows to get students out. I think that could have been an option. Break and rake a window, get someone with a long gun, break the situation down there. I guess the only other thing that I could think of would be this, this shooter had access to two adjoining rooms. I'm almost wondering if this tack team went in, created a diversion on one door and used the keys to open the other door. So right. that might've been part of it. Um, but really the basic, the basic issue here is that this seemed to be played as a barricaded subject, not an active shooter. And that goes back to failure to properly train. Yep. So you got um, to have all those tools in your, your toolbox there that you, you, you got to understand which is which. Right. And, and, you know, cause it, it changes the playbook, you know, in all reality, I'm not trying to say this is a game, but this is, you know, you know sops your standard operation you know of procedures mm-hmm. that you're going to use and if you know you got to make sure you have the right one and sometimes the others piggyback off the other and you can kind of just quickly roll into a different scenario type ordeal but did, did we ever hear that when the tac team got there did he was he relieved of his command and the tac team team leader took over that no, it sounds like that was the other criticism was that he maintained incident command the entire time. Yeah, see, he should have he should have been relieved of that point. Right. When the tag team leader gets there. Well, at a certain point, you have to realize that you need the help. Yeah. And yep. I think that's part of the problem. When you get the weight of those extra pins on your collar, it goes to your head. And mm-hmm. no, I, I'm the incident commander and I don't need help and I'm going to handle this myself. Well, 
sometimes you need help and you should, you should look out for that. Well, and I only say it, he, I'm sure he has tons of experience. I'm not trying to, we're not trying to knock him there, but sure. hypothetically speaking, a tag team commander who knows his guys, that's mm-hmm. the big thing there. He knows what their capabilities are. He knows where their pos, you know, where their, where their pluses are, where their minuses are. Cause he's training with them or he should be, you know, you're, if you're a tag team commander, you should be out training with the tag team, not sitting at a desk. You know, that's like, you should be out there doing the training with them. And you mean like when they're at the range or when they're doing training with like, like certain three letter agencies and yes. Yeah. Things like that. You should be out there doing that with them. But, but my point though is, is that, you know, he could have been SWAT in the past, yada, yada, all this stuff. But I guarantee you there's certain guys on that tag team after he got out, even if he was Mm -hmm. that are new that he now doesn't actually know. Right. And he doesn't know their capabilities. And as a leader of a tag team, you need to know everybody's capabilities, not just, Mm -hmm. not just the guys going in. You need to know what your perimeter capabilities are. You know, it's, it's like being the quarterback of a football team. And and there's a lot that's still unclear, but I, the part of the research showed that he was, he did serve time in several different police departments where he had been tenured. Um, But like one of the questions that popped up was that I get, apparently the Uvalde police department had some sort of a, a special response team, on their their website, it showed that they've served several uh, drug warrants. So why the Uvalde Police Department's SWAT team didn't show up as opposed to the Border Patrol, no one really knows the answer to that either. Um, I mean, that could have been half the team was out on vacation or injured or whatever, but those those are questions that need answered as well. Yeah. So um, I guess now is the time we go into it. How do we solve this? Yeah, well, I've I've seen some great ideas and it's pretty pretty easy and i think really the only answer is to do what you know local grocery stores here have done and that is put armed people sure. and armed armed prior law enforcement armed armed prior military guys um inside of schools um and i mean i've seen people say you know here's a great way to solve the the unemployment crisis and uh and military or or you know people who've gotten out of law enforcement who are looking for extra extra employment, especially nowadays with inflation being an issue. But, um, you know, I think I I saw a statistic where if we paid, there's like so many thousand schools, I think it's like 191,000 schools in the United States Mm -hmm. like that. And if you paid a, uh, an average salary to that person, $75,000, it comes out to be like $9 billion. And we just I saw sent, that too. Yeah. And we just sent 40 billion over to Ukraine. Like we have issues in this country that need to be dealt with before we start sending money over to another country. Mm-hmm. Like that That is about as far into the political side of this is that I'm going to go. But I am a parent and I want my kids to be safe. And there needs, I, I, I told a guy at work, I said, if that opportunity to go do that at a school, I would take a pay cut to go do that. Yeah. Because let's be real. That job is something that needs to happen because that these kids are the future, you know, however, you know, right, wrong or indifferent. Some of these kids are these days, you know, I'm not going to sit here and go, Oh, the old, you know, all oh, these kids these days, you know, are just terrible, <laughs> you know, but, but they're the future of this country. And they need to be protected in any way they can. And you cannot let this terrorism, in my opinion, is what this is, the ideology of it. You can't let it win. Like when 9-11 got hit, you know, the, the we didn't stop flying, you know, right. like we didn't like ground all planes. I mean, we did for the short amount of time, ground all planes, but then it, right back up it went. What did they do? Well, they hired, you know, federal air marshals. They put guns in planes. They, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a way to, it's a way to solve this problem. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I 100%, I know a lot of veterans that would love to do that, to go work at a school and protect kids while they get an education and learn and not be worried that some, you know, psycho is going to try to come hurt them. Like, and same goes for the teachers. Like they, they deserve to be protected, you know? So um, I think it's a duty to obviously law enforcement agencies, but more or less the politicians of the world to, to provide that service you know, provide the funds, provide the service to protect the people who are just trying to get an education. Well, and I think to add to that, I, w- yes, it's a good idea. 
but I think, and I saw that same statistic that nine billion dollars statistic. I think we have to realize that it's going to be more than that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I don't think that you can just put one person in in charge because who's going to be the first person ambushed? That person. That person. With that is going to come training. They need to have proper training. There's also going to have to be some pretty extensive background checks and. I don't want to step on toes, but you and I both know the mental health crisis with law enforcement and, 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 uh, um, military. Yep. So are you going to put a veteran without any background check in charge of a school oh, with God. an a, with, with an AR slung over their back? Right. Yeah. There's gotta be the background checks. I, I think we have to be realistic and realize that it's going to cost more than just putting one person at every school in America. Absolutely. Um, yep. And I, and I think maybe even we might have misspoke. I don't know that there is a, a 100% solution to this, right? We haven't figured out a 100% solution to any other crime in America. But I think, like you said, that is a big step. Common sense lawmakers would be another one. I don't know if we're ever going to have that. Nope. Um, but then kind of going back to the the big critique that I had was proper training and taking training seriously. I kind of, kind of you know started to paint that picture but you and i have had multiple active shooter trainings over the past Mm -hmm. four years and the first one was okay because it was just a real quick walkthrough the second one was okay because it was hands-on sims training going in and take care of the threat the third one really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it was an all-day thing where we were going over this incident command structure and for some reason, the commanders, when they were incident commander, felt like they had the power of God, but had no idea what they were doing. Like, like they had a cheat sheet in front of them of how to how to operate, but like they couldn't follow the cheat sheet. And then when you turn around, and they were the ones who were supposed to be going into the building, and other people were the incident commanders, they just wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen to the radios. They wouldn't listen to what they were told to do, and it created a, a complete headache. So we absolutely need to hype up the training and we need to take it seriously. Yeah. It needs, it needs to happen frequently. I'll, I'll tell you what, the first day at my new agency, the first, pretty much the first thing we did was mm-hmm. we went to all the schools and walked through them. Good. And it was because, you know, it's the, the day and age that we live in now. I mean, mm-hmm. th- this hadn't happened. You know, the Buffalo thing hadn't happened yet. And, um, but that was the first, that was the first, you know, idea that, oh yeah, let's get you in the school so you can see the layout of these things. And one of the second things that was done was, uh, I, th- I ended up doing a threat assessment on, on the high school, you know, because that's, you know, that's what, uh, there was a, there was an issue. There was a, a like a city council meeting that was supposed to be kind of contentious. So it was, Hey, use your experience and tell us where and how we need to do these if this happens if this mm-hmm. happens this is the answer and solution to this if this happens thank god nothing happened you know it was still contentious but everybody did what you're supposed to do and that's keep your cool mm-hmm. and and it worked out okay but um but yeah that, i mean the fact that it was the first the first day that i was at my new agency was to go through the schools and get the layout that needs to be done officers need to be doing walkthroughs of school mm-hmm if you're on day shift, you're not riding around in your squad car, find time to go to the school. The SRO can't do this all by itself. Yeah. So get in there, meet people, talk to the kids, you know, get them familiar with you, but understand the layout, you know, of your buildings that are in your district. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then obviously, you know, if you get a, tra- a training opportunity as, as such, you know, for your, you know, active shooter training, make sure you take all that in because it, you know, it's, it's literally just one crazy dude away from happening anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, in all reality, and it's going to happen whether or not you take away everybody's guns or not, because you're not going to get them all. And some crazy guy's going to bad, bad, crazy dude is going to have them. Well, and then that I goes into the next part. We have to start hyping up mental health again because we're, we've, I, the, there's not enough time to go into the history of mental health right now. But basically, we had a, a plan. We were executing that plan. It was going wrong, and it all changed in the 50s and 60s. And it was basically the entire country popping smoke with mental health. Yeah. Um, we need to get a, a much more firm grasp on that. Also, though, we need, like I said, we need to take training seriously with police officers. It needs to go the same way with teachers and administration. Yes. You and I both know that uh, the, the area that we came from, all of the schools participated in what was called Alice training. Yep. And our boy Miggs was in charge of that. Yep. And some of the stories that I would hear from him 
when they were using things like tennis balls as weapons and not like Sims guns, teachers that were, they were puckering up, they were putting their tail between their legs and they were freaking out over Alice training with tennis balls and the complete negative feedback they would give towards that. Well, I guarantee that if this shit were to happen at your school, you wish you would have taken it much more seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, and taking these, you know, taking the advice of law enforcement, because, you know, most and I can only speak from, you know, locally, but most Alice trainers, right, are SWAT guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they have experience on SWAT. They probably have prior military experience. They they know the ins and outs. So here, typically what cops do is they, they play the role of the bad guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that that's how they figure out what what would probably occur in these situations. That's how, you know, like when I walked through the school. Uh, my first day I started, you know, basically threat assessing the, th- the thing anyway. So I kind of mm-hmm. knew going into day two when this whole thing was going on, where and how somebody would be able to cause an issue, cause a big disturbance here to the point where you would have problems. Mm-hmm. And one of those things that from quality thing was that that door was propped. Now I can't blame them because it's in Southern Texas and it's right. hot as hell. Right. But it is one of those things that you have to take into consideration that propping doors cannot be an option. Right. And if, if we don't have air conditioning for the kids in school, um, they don't need to be going to school. It's too fucking hot. You know what I'm saying? Like I mean, we, there's days that it gets too hot up here in Iowa and they call kids out of school. Cause it, you know, certain schools didn't have air conditioning. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure all the schools or the majority of the schools now have air conditioning, but in Texas, that's a huge problem. Like you guys need to figure that out. Well, and I think that kind of just illustrates like this was the perfect shit storm. Yeah. Like if that door had been closed, he's probably not getting in. Right. But it illustrates if something wrong can happen, it's going to happen. Yep. And I don't want, you know, a country full of, of militarized individuals or military mindset. But the other thing that I was going to talk about, have you ever once heard of a school doing active shooter training routinely incorporating Alice or has it always been just the teachers and administration? I, you know, I don't know. I know. I mean, I've heard of lockdown training and things like that, but every time you see an incident pop up, it seems like something broke down. And I think that it's, it's good in theory to have the teachers and administration going through this Alice training. But when you then have 30 students in your classroom trying to contain that, if you haven't practiced it, you're not going to be ready. Right. Well, there's a whole system to that. And, and so. there are things that are being done within the new schools that are being built that I think are great ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some technology that's being used. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to like, I don't know if there's some wacko out there listening to right. what we're talking about. I'm not giving them any tactics. Don't want to give it away. Right. But there's things that are being done in these new schools that are being built to help because it's getting taken into consideration. It's not that mm-hmm. it isn't. Like there, people are trying to do certain things help the problem, you know, help prevent the problem. Um, but we got to get everybody on board with that and, and make sure that those things are, you know, pretty much as pretty much as pure as they can be to, you know, having no issues, no kinks, you know, making sure teachers understand that we're not propping doors. Right. Um, but still being able to gain access from the outside. So law enforcement can get in, right. You know, like key cards or whatever, you know, I think, you know, mm-hmm. control cars have key cards in them to the school buildings. That's a great idea. Yep. You know, so you can scan the key and go in whatever fucking door you need to, you know, so you don't have to go through the funnel, right. Mm-hmm. Of that he's wanting you to come through. If that's what the commander's saying, well, shit, I'll just go around back. Yep. You know, yep. And uh, sneak up from behind you and cap you. So, I mean, it is, you know, it's one of those things that you have to take that into consideration into your, in your to be, because, you know, we don't live down there. We know right. in our general area, how things are laid out. You know, obviously we're in new places now, but, but I'm sure you've gone to the schools down there and got a layout, you know, you mm-hmm. understand kind of where your doors are. I think the numbering of the windows, the numbering of the, the lettering of the doors and windows is, is a very intelligent thing to do. Um, Cause as a sniper, it gives me something to set up on and yep. look at if I can figure out he's in this window on this level. Oh, now I know, you know, now I know where exactly he is. Cause I can see that from a distance and he can't see where I'm at. So, well, you know what I will say, and I'm not, I'm not going to harp on anybody in particular, but I, I, that was one of the questions I asked was like, Hey, do we have, do we have an incident response map for the school? And it was basically, yeah, we've got them somewhere. 
And then it was, you know, this school is very similarly laid out to this school. So if you know this one, you know that one. Well, not really. There's not really it. You need to be in there. You need to have a feel for it. And it, I, I don't know, man. I, I, I think what we're kind of coming to the realization of is that it's, it's not just going to be one thing that's going to even come close to fixing this. Nope, yep. We need to look at it from all sides. Well, and one of the, one of the things that was brought to my attention and is from a, a person that's real close to me, but has several years of experience as being a principal. But, uh, you know, he, he, he brought a point to me cause I got kind of, you know, I'm on day shift. So I, I'm going to be involved with the schools, right? I've, mm-hmm. I've been to the schools in my new agency quite frequently. We don't have a school resource officer type thing, but you know, it's such a small town that essentially, you know, me or, or the chief, since we're both on day shift or the school resource officer, you get mm-hmm. it. So, um, but with that being said, going to the school and trying to like take over, you know, like the principals have, they, they frown upon that because that's their job. They're in charge of the building. They have like this, like this controlling complex type thing. Yeah. I understand that and I get it, but when there's a situation, we need to be on the same team. Like yep. We can't, you know, so you need to get in there and develop a relationship with your principals of your buildings to make sure that you guys are on the same page. And then you can understand kind of their relationship or their point. Cause you know, there's, there's people out there that are in education who don't like law enforcement. I mean, there's, it's yep. not, and that's the thing is you can't be doing that. We have to work together. And um, one of those things to do that is, is making sure you're bridging that gap and meeting the principal and telling them, you know, Hey, these are my intentions. I, we can handle discipline within a school, you know, that, that, you know, and you guys want to do that. That's, that's probably the best case scenario than doing criminal charges unless they need to, unless it fits, you know? Well, but I think what you're getting at, because it goes back to leadership again, you have to have, you have to be able to check your ego at the door. Right. And yes, you have to have that relationship with the, the principals, the command staff of schools, but they have to be willing to hear when they've done something wrong. There shouldn't be situations of a student bringing a gun to school nope. and the school handling it and then calling the school resource officer an hour later. Right. And way after the fact. Yeah. Right. Yep. Not, not saying it's happened, but the man, that seems like a pretty specific scenario, right? Yep. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, there's a lot that's going to go into it. And <laughs> man we've been we've been at it for what almost an hour now i don't know about you i've been kind of trying to to not step on toes and watch what i say it's a very it's a serious topic and it's an emotional topic and it's if, if this episode seems a little bit off it's because it's because of the fact that we're trying to be as politically correct as possible while still getting our point across yeah i mean there's i when we talked about this episode and wanting to do this, you know, one of the first things that came out of my mouth is I don't want to try to do this politically. Cause like, you know, me, I know you, but, <laughs> but I will go on a tangent on country right? and just my personal opinion. And, and I have yet to find somebody who brings up a valid point on the other side, like in any, anything dealing with, what has occurred in the past few weeks, you know, with the mass shootings and things like that is it, the wrong course of action to take because then it's just going to happen even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, I, you know, I have kids, you have kids. I promise you there's no way my wife is going to send kids to a public school or a school if that we're not going to correct this issue. Right. So we'll handle it on our own. And and we know thank you for your services that we pay taxes for. Yeah. So, and then well, at that same point, at that same token, on the flip side of that, now I'm going to say, well, if I'm paying, you know, if, if I'm paying taxes and you're not going to do anything to prevent this, then I want my taxes back. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, Again, we're not sovereign citizens. But... No, we're not sovereign citizens. But if you're not going to do anything with that, then I want it back. I, the th- you know, when I, to add to that, though, going back to that training issue, you talk about those officers that are asking to go in. At some point, how does no one cowboy up and go in there? And unless none of unless none of those officers had the proper active shooter response training, I just I can't imagine. You and I were taught in act, in active shooter training. If you hear gunshots, you're going. Yeah. And well, if you don't, if you don't hear gunshots, you're going and trying to find wounded individuals. Yes, and doing triage. Yeah. Yep. And and I, 
you know, it's that it's really simple thing. I say it to my son all the time. I say it to my kids all the time. It's the six inches between your, you know, between your ears Yep. and, and the, you know, the thing that thumps in your chest that you have got to find that they connect with each other and you got to fucking go. Yeah. Because especially when it's kids, I mean, no, no different than innocent, innocent adults, but your response still needs to be the same. But I mean, little kids should drive you to go help them because they they literally cannot, they can't comprehend the, what is occurring to them other than they're scared shitless. Right. Right. And nobody wants their kid and no mom in America wants their, you know, we always said that in the military, the mothers of America are ruining America. You know, we're not, that's a joke. It's not, we're not literally saying that it's talking about how soft people are becoming, but in this situation, kids have every right to be scared. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a very, that's a very real thing like you can't train a kid to be hardened by that in any way mm-hmm. i'm accustomed to it, it, it because then this is what's the point so but yeah that's you have got to find that in between your six inches in your head and go fucking in there and, and neutralize the issue find a way in you know whether it's a different door right. whether it's a window you know whether it's you fucking shatter the window in the classroom that he's in and reach your damn gun through there and just start shooting. You probably are going to get hit, but you got to, you know, fucking nut up right. and, and do it. And, so, and again, we can, we can re we can, we can, we can Monday morning quarterback. This is all we want. Everyone thinks they have an idea of how they're going to respond to gunshots until it actually mm-hmm. happens. But it, unless there's something else that we don't know, that's going to come forward there's just too many questions that need to be answered. Yeah. And I've said it. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I've said it multiple times now, but that's kind of what it it boils down to. I don't want our, anybody listening to us that are in law enforcement. I don't want, don't be attacking the guys down Uvalde, the police department or the school police department. Like, like let them, they're, they're struggling. Like they're, they're hurt as well. It's their community. Like leave them be. Like mm-hmm. let them, let them grieve properly, give them time off, you know, whatever you got to do, because mental health wise, you know, we talk about mental health and law enforcement all the time. This is like, like the worst case scenario, yeah. you know, in all reality. And, you know, you're going to have survivor's guilt. You're going to have all these, all these issues that we talk about mental health side of it, that you need to take care of each other. And we need to take care of them because they're part of that community. That, that community needs to support them and understand that, whether right, wrong, or indifferent on the response, they're still part of the community and they need to be taken care of. So, yeah, you just, you hit it all. You hit every, I, I wanted to cover all of those and was trying to find a way to say it intelligently, which if people know me, they know that sometimes is, is hard for me to do. Um, but, <laughs> Don't yeah, beat you, yourself. You're, you're an intelligent guy. You remember you're the, like the redneck philosopher? What, what is it? Well, you call me the redneck philosopher, but that there doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that I'm intelligent. That just means I, that I say some weird things sometimes. I think you're intelligent. Smarter um, than, you're smarter than I am. That's good. <laughs> I, I highly doubt that, but <laughs> yeah, no, the, you hit everything that I wanted to cover there with that in a much more concise way than I've been trying to do for the past hour. We obviously, we, we need to be thinking of those guys. The questions that need answered will be answered at some point. I, I really have a feeling, especially after the research that I did and about talking about it for an hour and breaking it down. I feel like there's something at play that we don't know about. I can't imagine 19 officers on scene not going in. There had to be something going on specifically that we're going to find out about. And that was partly what this episode was for, was to try to answer some of those questions and bridge that gap because of all of the misinformation that's out there and all of the the assumptions by people who have no law enforcement experience are making. Yeah. Well, and the one thing that I also want to touch on is, and I, I don't think we have any people from the Uvalde Police Department listening to us, but if we do and you guys need anything call us, you know, get it, reach out to us on, on all those social media platforms because we do support you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're your brothers and sisters. Um, that's how we look at it. That's the brotherhood and the camaraderie that's supposed to be in law enforcement. I know it's a dying thing at times. Uh, just kind of depends on where you're at. It is still something that we have to do and do better within this profession is take care of each other. You mm-hmm. don't blue Falcon, you, you know, don't blue Falcon anybody. So if there's anybody down there that needs just somebody to talk to, by all means, reach out to us. We'll freaking hook up with you. So, all right. Yeah, even third hand, fourth hand connections. Yep. That's what we're here for. Yep. Absolutely. So. Well, buddy, I got nothing else, man. I, I, like, it's a, 
I'm 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 telling you, I'm motivated right now. I'm like, this yeah. is this is a bit much. I'm I mean, I'm fired up as a motherfucker. That's for sure. Yeah, I I hope that uh, you know it's. I hope we stop this shit because it's getting a little ridiculous. The only maintenance thing before we close up is is we felt this was important enough that we're going to be putting it out. I'm going to edit this thing tomorrow right away and put it out tomorrow. Today's the 30th, so tomorrow it will be out. We have an episode we had recorded that we felt good about, but we're going to put that on the back burner to be released after this one. So things are going to seem a little bit out of sync date-wise. There's a reason for that. And like I said, we just felt this was important enough. We needed to hit it now and get it out there as soon as we could. Yeah, and since that's uh, being re- this one's being released so soon, I just want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day. You know, yeah. make sure you do do it what it's used for, not for barbecuing and stupid shit. So right, well, and absolutely hold your kids closer, show yep. them the love they deserve, and if you're in law enforcement, remember why we're doing this. Couldn't have said it better. Well, in that case, I'm going to say, like I always say, stay safe, and we'll get to this together. Have a good one. Um, I'm not going to talk about basketball. Nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Um, any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, since we left shoot around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher. And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence enough there's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on hr8 which is a background check rule that the house passed a couple years ago it's been sitting there for two years and there's a reason they won't vote on it to hold on to power so i ask you mitch mcconnell i ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings i ask you are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight. But I want every person here, every person listening to this, to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister or brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough.